What Friedman? I know I sound great. You so. do sound great. <laughs> I can't believe you're here. Uh, listen, Mark, yeah. I am so hip that, uh, <laughs> yes, I was in the Celebrity Poker Tournament at uh, Commerce, and yeah. uh, uh, there were some people that I knew, and yeah. some people are recognizing me. The guy yeah. says, uh, I guess I'm, I'm doing an iPod tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> they liked it? Uh-huh. They, were they surprised? They, I, I'm doing an iPod. Oh, the wrong thing. Podcast. Yeah, I'm doing a pod. Then Did they I figure out what the hell he meant? Well, obviously you didn't, so they certainly <laughs> I was trying to be polite. I wasn't sure if you were still <laughs> yeah, calling right, it that. Right, right, right. <laughs> well, you know, it's weird because uh, uh, there was a... You know, I, it, it's hard to, to, to begin talking about, you know, the the uh, what you've contributed to uh, to our business here, I think you invented the comedy club. Would you say that? Oh, I would say that definitely by accident, but I certainly invented it. Well, I don't think a lot of people realize that the original improv on Forty Fourth Street. I mean, when did, when did that start? Forty nine years ago, nineteen sixty three. And and where did you come from before that? How did you get into show business? Well, how did I get into show business? I was always a ham. You might have noticed that. Sure. And I'm I, surprised there's no monocle tonight. Right. Hello. Well, well, there's always the monocle, oh, yeah. of course. Monocle. <laughs> I um, I was working in advertising in Boston. I was living in New York, and I moved to Boston to work in advertising. And uh, I was almost 30, and I said, I've got to give show business a try. I always wanted to be an actor, but I didn't have the, you know, too middle class to starve, yeah. I think was my line. Right. So I said, I know, I'll produce a show on Broadway. And then, yeah. So That's easy. Uh, yeah, Just that was me. easy. I, I had no money, no contacts, and very little taste. <laughs> right. So I moved back to New York. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't want to work in advertising, which right. I had been doing in Boston, because it would be too full-time. What were you doing, copy? Copywriting? I was what? a copywriter. I was an account executive for a small, you know, couple of small but accounts. You had, where, but you grew up in Boston? No, no. I'm from Norwich, Connecticut. Isn't that odd? You're not a, a traditional New York Jewish person. Yes. Well, then I moved to New York when I was nine, uh-huh. looking for work. And did you go to college? Oh, yes. I uh, I went to uh, City College, I went to Brooklyn College, and I went to NYU. Uh-huh. And you were also- and For uh, one degree. And you were in the war, too. I was in the big war, the Korean War. <laughs> <laughs> but that was a pretty nasty war. I think a lot of people don't it, realize- Well, I was only there for one- I was only in battle one day. Really? How did that- how, I was uh, I was on the front line. I was- uh, Which, which uh, army? In the army infantry. Yeah. How that happened as a Jew boy from New York, How we'll did that never happen? know. How did I don't know. Did you enlist? Did you get I did enlist, yes. You yeah. thought it was the right thing to do? No, I knew I was going to be drafted. I didn't want to waste time in college because I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I volunteered for the draft, thinking the war was going to last forever. Right. <laughs> Schmuck that I am. The, three weeks after I was wounded, the war ended. So oh, really? Know? Yeah. So you, the first day in battle, you got so hit? One day, and my only day in battle, and uh, yeah. And what, yeah. what happened? Uh, we were trying to take Porkchop Hill back. You probably saw the yeah. movie. I kept turning around looking for the cameras. Yeah. And, <laughs> and you got hit. And I didn't see that grenade, <laughs> and boom, I got uh, nailed. Did you lose a lot of friends and whatnot? I mean, yeah. We, uh, that's when I was uh, confirmed my my uh, atheism. Really? I, How um, so? Well, the battalion was approximately, I don't know, 1,000 men. Yeah. And we were going to go back to try to take uh, the um, the hill back. Right. Porkchop Hill. And the... the uh, uh, what was he, Presbyterian uh, chaplain, mm-hmm. was going to bless everybody. And I said, no, no. And I walked away. Not because he was Presbyterian, because I, you know, yeah. I believe in God. And in in my company, with the guys that I knew, 220 guys, 11 or 9, I can't remember exactly, uh, escaped unscathed. And you were one of them? No, I was wounded. Oh, I'm okay, saying not dead. I was wounded right. or dead. Right. Yeah. 
I didn't die. And that was it. You, you, you and I said, I know. I, now I know I'm. Now I know there's something to atheism. Yeah. I believe in something. Because <laughs> that guy, he, he blessed us, and we still got yeah. Oh, I mean. It was so terrible. you came back and did? Were you? Uh, you did you get a? You know. A, the, then I had the GI Bill, and, and did you get a Purple Heart? I got a Purple Heart. I was supposed to get a Bronze Star, but I didn't. That's another. story. You still have your Purple Heart? Oh yes, yeah. Alex. My wife uh, took my Purple Heart, my Combat Infantryman's badge. Uh, a pin I had made up for the one show I produced, What's a Nice Country Like You Doing in a State Like This, and a, a pin that I had won when I was 16 in the Bronx in the Tarzan swim meet uh-huh. at Cascade Swimming Pool. Lowe's 167th Street did yeah. a swim competition. Yeah. I won. Yeah. I, got, I was very proud of it. I am very yeah. proud of it. And so to I was there all mounted. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah. Anyway, so... I, uh, I I I came back and I I started at City College. I had already gone to Brooklyn College for a semester and left to go into the army. And um, and while I was at City College, I called home or something, and I was living with my mother in yeah. Queens. And she says, uh, you're not getting as uh, I was disabled uh, disability." She says, "You're not getting." But you're getting um, 118 dollars a month. I said, "That doesn't sound right." And I came home. And it was my GI Bill oh, giving me right. you know, money. For, no, no, that was my disability, right. not for the school. Right. So I became a disabled veteran, I found out a month out. What was that? How were you injured? I got hit by a grenade. Right, but I mean, what was uh, your oh, disability? Oh, I got my right elbow my, under my armpit, my rear end, uh, my right thigh. I have a four-inch Shrapnel? Uh, yeah. Is it all out now? No, it's not. Oh, and really? I, there's a little left in there, but we don't know. I, I read the report once years ago, but it was so technical. I didn't know. I, I have no idea where the shrapnel is. Uh-huh. You know, keep surprising Alex all the time. Yeah. There you <laughs> I go. Keep popping out. What's this? <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, so anyway, we uh, I I so I got the GI Bill. So I said, hell, I'm transferring out of City College. I'm going to NYU. Yeah. And so I did, and uh, I I got out. I got my degree in about three years in advertising, in marketing and advertising. Yeah. And uh, I worked for a while in New York, and then, uh, it, but you, I couldn't go to work in an agency because they start you out at thirty five dollars a week, which I couldn't afford to do. Uh-huh. I was, you know, I was right. older than most of these guys are a year older. But. Yeah. So uh, I got a job in uh, a small agency in Boston called Marvin Leonard Advertising. Yeah. You probably knew them as young and sure, Rubicam. Sure, of course. Yeah. <laughs> That's a joke. Yeah. There were two guys from yeah. New York who yeah. had moved up there yeah. to work for a small agency, yeah. and they bought it. Okay. The guy retired. And they hired me, and I was very happy. It was very nice. And if I, wasn't, if I were married, I might have stayed there longer, but I was a little restless. And so uh, I decided I'm going to get into showbiz now or never. I'm going to produce a Broadway show. And I'm not going to work now. I'll give myself a year to do, yeah. a year to do it. Yeah. And that didn't work out too well. And uh, Did you try to produce a show? At that point, I, I, I did. Uh, and one of the highlights, or the highlight, yeah. was sitting down face-to-face with Lottie Lenya. Uh-huh. For the younger folks out there, Lottie Lenya was this legendary German-American, American-German, Singer actress who uh, was married to Kurt Weil, who wrote uh, the show that I was interested in, uh, uh, Knickerbocker Holiday. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, I knew nothing about theater, but I read the script. <laughs> And I, I'm sure you're not familiar. It's before you. I know Lottolinia. I know the name, well, but I can't, yeah. I can't connect. So it's about Peter Stuyvesant yeah. in Manhattan. Yeah. And uh, Peter Stuyvesant had a wooden leg. 
and then there was a young guy in it. Yeah. And on Broadway, the older guy was mm-hmm. played by Walter Houston and uh, John, John Houston's Houston. father. Yeah. Angelica's grandfather. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, he sang September Song, a very famous song. And um, the younger guy, I forgot his name, that played it. And I said to Miss Lenya, I said, uh, well, you know, I feel that for, you know, this is going to be summer stock show. They used yeah. to have big, these musical tents. Right. We could book a younger guy as the lead. I think we get more box office that way because the roles seem to be equal. Do you think that would work? She yeah. said, well, you know, the show was really originally written for Burgess Meredith. Oh, my God. You know who yeah, he is sure. from Rocky. Yeah, well, the manager. Well, of course, he was the young. Rock. He was yeah. a young yeah. actor, you know, way back. And she had a fall, he had a falling out with him, so he switched the show over to Walter Houston. Right. But oh. yes, we could do that. She right. Said. Well, needless to say, I didn't, I didn't sell it. I couldn't sell it. Uh, but it was nice meeting her. Oh, that was that was great. And I was looking at people like Arthur Godfrey, so the older guy. And sure. I, it was hilarious. Uh, so I, you know, I, I was working as uh, I was selling magazines on the telephone. I was, and I met on the phone. Well, you know who Bullet Sturgeon was? No. He was Jackie Gleason's manager. Oh, my God. And, I mean, how can you forget the name Bullet Sturgeon? Well, yeah. I'm a kid in the Bronx. I knew who Bullet Sturgeon was. And, uh, and I'm You met him f- cold calling? Like calling? I met his, his, uh, his uh, divorced wife. Ex-wife. She was so nice. She bought every magazine. <laughs> and then I finally met her when I moved out here years yeah. later. Oh, really? And he told him the story? He told her, not him. Oh, okay. No, he was, I think, dead already. But uh, anyway- so I, saw him. I worked at my brother-in-law's luncheonette on 45th Street and Madison Avenue. Little goatee, little mustache. You've had a lot of facial hair. I've seen the pictures. Yeah, right. Did and, a lot of things. And people would say to me, uh, so um, you're an actor? I said, no. You write it? No. An artist? No, no, I'm a waiter. <laughs> Just to embarrass them. They go, oh, what? No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, I love it. I <laughs> so anyway. What was the birth of the, uh, how did you get So the improv. improv. So I met this young lady who was in Fiorello hit Broadway musical uh, and I was dating her and, we, and Silver yeah. and you know Zoe's I mother. knew Silver we go out yeah and we go out with her friends from the show and they would say hey remember when we were in Chicago trying out in the show and yeah. we'd go to Harry's Bar after yeah. the show and get up and sing and then there was the place in Boston blah 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 and I said gee there's an idea I'll open up a coffee house with food yeah. in the theater district Yeah, and the kids will come in get up and sing I'll make a few bucks, and I'll expand my my knowledge of, of Broadway people. You schmooze a little bit. You meet some people. Yeah, exactly. They'll come exactly, in. Exactly, show people. Mark, exactly. So you want to show people. You want to have an after-hours right. club, and after- Not after-hours, after theater. After theater that was, right. wasn't was uh, Lindy's or one of the exactly. other places. Yeah, some place the kids could go to and, and, hang and out. sing. Oh, and yeah. And sing, yeah. And but the hope was to get the big people in. Like to have, you know, a place where maybe... Never thought of the stars. No. No, I was just thinking of the chorus kids. And right. I mean, I think it would be a good part-time temporary venture. Sure. Like a coffee shop. A, co- exactly. a coffee, coffee house. house. Yeah. Exactly. With food, though. Right. And so that's what I did. I opened it, and then, then we where, got... What was the original location? Where'd you get the... 44th. Right. No, but I mean, what was it before? How'd you get the deal on that? Well, um, that's I smile because in 1962, when I rented the end of 62 and opened in 63, it was a Vietnamese restaurant. 1962. Think okay. about that day. Yeah. Right? It had all red lacquered walls and mirrors and yeah. 
We ripped all the shit off the walls, yeah. and there was the brick. Yeah. Cleaned up the brick, and that's how the brick wall became. The original yeah. brick the original wall. Brick the wall. first brick, the original wall, brick wall, which is now sort of a symbol of stand-up yes, comedy. Yes, exactly. I remember performing there, because I, when God, I got there- I got a royalty each time. Oh, yeah, every brick is on TV. <laughs> that's my thing. <laughs> No, I, w- I got to New York in 89 and Silver still had the place. And yeah. Yeah, I it was, you know, by that time there was a letter missing, I think, and <laughs> one of them was falling off. Oh, well, there are always letters missing. <laughs> well, did you, you've seen that famous picture of, of John oh, Lennon yeah, yeah, in front yeah, of the yeah. Well, it says <laughs> half of the M, an impro- it's a vertical sound, half of the M is missing, and there's no N on the bottom. <laughs> I think it was great. <laughs> no, no one fixed you know, it. How come no right. one fixed it? You didn't huh? want to fix it? Yeah, I never had the money. <laughs> Yeah, you know, for ten years, I didn't make a penny. But who was coming around like right away? Because I mean, oh. Silver, Silver did a few shows, right? She was a, a oh, a then, dancer. then she was in. By the time we opened, we were, uh, she was in How to Succeed in Business, and uh, the kids came in, and Bobby Moss came in, Rudy Valley even came in. It's amazing Bobby Moss on Mad Men now, Isn't right? That, and he's playing the same role, yeah. Chairman of the Board, which yeah. is the last job he had. In, it's the, and he's great. Succeed. He's great. He is. Who else was coming in? Uh, well, Charles Nelson Riley, who, right. was, who was just fantastic, and all the kids in the show. This is and 63, shows. 62. 63. Who was the first open. comic to come around? Ah, the first comic um, was Dave Astor. Yeah. And Dave Astor was the comics comic. He was playing the Blue Angels. You certainly heard of that. And um, he wandered in one night, and he got up and performed. I didn't know who he was, and he was brilliant. He was really... And you had regular crowds, people would start to come in, it was all show people, what was it? In the beginning, it was mostly just show kids coming yeah. in, and then, you know, word yeah. got out very quickly, but uh, I'll get to that yeah. in a minute, but Dave asked to, you know, so he's playing the Blue Angel, and the comics would come to see him, he would bring them over. Right, so he became sort of a regular. That's how became a comedic genius. <laughs> yes, that's it. Dave Astor showed up one night, and you're exactly. like, I got it. Exactly. Were you a fan of comedy? Oh, yes. Yeah? Yeah, and I found that... I'd prefer to hear the same joke over again than a song over and over and over again. Is that true? Yeah, these kids would sing the same fucking songs all the time. All the time. And who were those those kids singing? Do we know these people? I mean, I know that some of the people we know as comics were singers originally, some of the women. Oh, well, no. We had Liza Minnelli. She would come by regularly. Absolutely. When she was 16. Wow. Um, Judy Garland ever come? Yes. We're talking about the kids first. Right. Um... And uh, Bette Midler, of course, when, as 1969, Bette showed up. Um, trying to think of other singers. Well, we had everybody. You know, Didn't Elaine Boozler sing initially? Or? Elaine Boozler was a singing waitress. Was that something you initiated? That did, did everyone have to perform? Oh, yeah. Well, it was as many as we could. Yeah. So in case somebody didn't show up, hey, go on up. That was it. Was it was, a, it was ter- not a hook or anything. Yeah. It was just a backup plan. Exactly. And she was a terrible waitress. <laughs> so she became a singing hostess. Yeah. And then she met Andy Kaufman and became decided to become a comedian. Later, and that was what, yeah. 1971? Yes. Yeah. So in the early 60s, like did, yeah, did, did Woody Allen come by? Woody was there once or twice. Dick Cavett yeah. came in for the second time he performed stand-up, and, and I think you'll like the story. He says, uh, does this joke, it's a classic joke, he says, my friend from Yale was so rich that when he got married, instead of throwing rice, they threw Uncle Ben. I mean, hysterical. The next joke was he was so rich that they had the caviar flown in from Beluga. Well, what did this Jew boy from the Bronx, Connecticut, know about caviar? And I said, 
Where's Beluga? <laughs> I looked it up the next day and yeah. found out that Beluga was the whale, yeah. not him. <laughs> so you learned he something. He came back a week later, yeah. and he does his reset, but he doesn't do the Beluga joke. I said, Dick, why don't you do that Beluga joke? He said, people just didn't get it. I said, I thought it was brilliant. <laughs> you know, pretentious. I don't tell you how pretentious you, I can be, right? But you learned. I learned. I learned. Um, so when you when you started this, I mean, was it, uh, did you see it as a money-making venture? I mean, no. No, and it wasn't for some years. But I saw it as a as a you know part time temporary venture. And and when when did it like when did you start to did Lenny Bruce ever come in? Lenny came in once to work or to no, hang out. Just can't hung out. And he um, we had all the reviews of the Broadway shows stapled to a wall, a petition when you came in, and there were like six newspapers, you know. So yeah. Was, you know. And one of the shows that opened was uh, The Sign of Sidney Brewstein's Window by Lorraine Hansberry, and it starred Gabe Dell. You know who Gabe is? Uh-uh. Was? Gabe was the original Dead End Kid, uh-huh. and he became a very successful actor, and yeah. he was starring the show on Broadway. And as Lenny was leaving, we had China, and he looks at the picture of Gabe, and he says, what's this old opium eater doing? Which I don't <laughs> doubt that he was. Yeah. And I said, Lenny, he's the star of a hit Broadway show. Don't you? Didn't you read the reviews? Uh-huh. And he says, Bud, they don't have Broadway reviews in the Law Journal. That's all he was reading. <laughs> oh, so he was at the end of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Was he? Was he a mess when he came in? No, or, no, no, it didn't seem to be. And like, and, and uh, so, when was the shift? When did you start to realize that comedy was what was bringing people in? How did that t- shift around? Well, when, did, when did Carlin come in? When did Pryor come in? When did? Well, Richard. Uh, let's go back to Judy Garland yeah. for a minute. Um, go, Liza one day comes to me, and I, I picture this. I never forgot it. Remember how the old coffee urns in the restaurants, you'd pour the water from, and then pour it over on the top? And yeah. I'm, ju- I'm just circulating for those people. Yeah, 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 yeah. They still so have those. Making coffee, and Liza comes up to me. She's 16. She says, Bud, Bud, can I sing tonight? My father's here, and he's never heard me sing. And I'm saying to myself, Holy cow, Vincent Minnelli's in my shit house. Yeah. I can't believe it. I, got, <laughs> I said, no, I'm sorry, we're all yeah. booked up. She says, oh, please. I said, oh, okay for yeah, you, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. And, and then she, and then, oh, then what happened? No, she didn't bring uh, Judy in. One of my ex-piano players was dating her mm-hmm. and playing for her and making arrangements for her, and he brought her in. And then, so we had nights where Liza sang with Judy doing duets with Peter Allen playing the piano. Oh, Liza's my God. boyfriend, husband. Yeah, uh-huh. Uh, and then when John brought her in, John Meyer, the piano player, I sang duets with her. With Liza Minnelli? With, no. With, with Judy. Judy with Judy. And, how, how, and how, was the, uh, how was your voice? My voice was pretty good. Yeah. Anyway, she's, we're singing, and my friend Jack Knight, do you know, ever meet Jack? Uh-uh. Jack is a 6'1", stalker, an actor, yeah. and good voice. Yeah. And we're doing, and the, remember the terrazzo floor? Yeah, we had there, yeah. and it was very smooth, right in front of this little stage. And I'm sitting in a chair, and Jack is pushing the chair, and Judy and I are singing on the boardwalk in Atlantic City. Uh, it was brilliant. I mean, unbelievable. And then these two couples are sitting there. Yeah, gypsies. Yeah, not Broadway gypsies. Real gypsies. gypsies. Fortune yeah. tells you. Yeah. And a woman says, "I want to sing next." I said, "I'm sorry, but Miss Collins is singing." I don't care who I want to sing. I said, "Get out!" <laughs> I threw them out. out there. She's gonna <laughs> I no idea who she was. I don't think she did. Was. I know. Were you thinking that maybe you were gonna you were gonna actually get into show business? I mean, in terms of singing, and I mean, did you? Still oh, have- I, I, you know, I 
thought about it, but it's always in the back of my head. I've I've done a few movies, but of course I'm always playing myself, uh, (laughs) which is a stretch. Sure. Uh, But at the beginning, was that one of your angles? No, in opening the the club? No, no. no. It was just to be part of it. I wanted to be a producer, and I was going to do that. And And I did produce a show, you know, finally. And and how how did you decide who went on and what what happened? Was Silver Uh, part of that? Yeah. well, she was the good, she was my conscience, I guess sometimes. Yeah. But for the most part, I was I was once referred to as a benign dictator, and you would come in and say, "Hey, Bud, can I go?" Sure, Mark, you'll be on next. Oh, I'm sorry, Rodney just came yeah. in. You'll be on after Rodney, yeah. and while Rodney's on, Robert Klein will come. Yeah. You'll be after Robert. Yeah, and then you and went. you'd be on at four in the morning finally sure. because you know Richard yeah. Pryor would come in the whole thing. You had some so. young unknown neurotic Jew hating you by well, the end that's of the night. Yo, a lot of <laughs> young neurotic Jews and Gentiles hated me. <laughs> Well, you had that reputation. You ran sort of a tight ship. Yeah. I mean, you know, I ran it. I wasn't making a, a, a fortune. I was barely getting by. And I said, you know, at least I'm going to enjoy it. And yeah. I didn't know. You know, I had no, I know, no, not, no. The only experience I had in food was working as a waiter. So I had no idea of what food costs and drink costs and all of that. You didn't was. think to hire somebody that might understand that stuff? I, I didn't have the money, you know, and I was always. You know, Alex says, uh, oh, cut that crap. You know, I say, you know, how poor I was and how it still to this day, you know, colors the way I think about things. When did it become a comedy club? When did you realize that this was the racket? Um, I would say that uh, after I came out here. Oh really? But no. But but there were all those guys at the improv. In well, the yeah. One. Well, it was singer, comic, singer, comic. So it was, a, it was a variety show. Singer, comic, comic, singer, and then singer, comic, comic, comic. Singer. And I could walk into the bar and tell whether a singer, or comic was on because if a comic was on, all the singers would be watching or in the sitting, bar. I was just saying, you know, not have nothing to do with it. They hated each other. And they did. Oh yeah, singers hated comics, comics singers. In this particular case, because they vied for yeah, the stage yeah. time. But who were the guys that you like? You know, because I know you know the the story about Jay Leno. Uh, used well, to... going back, the first comic, yeah, um, Dave Astor. Yeah, after Dave, yeah. I mean, the first comic to make it out of the improv was Robert Klein, and Robert was in a show called App, Apple Tree, and he brought in and everyone can I curse on this? Sure, thing? of course. And everyone knows I'm a stage uh, a stage a star fucker. Yeah, and he came in with Alan Alda. Uh, somebody, Larry Blyden and Barbara Harris, the three stars of Apple Tree. He was in the chorus yeah. to watch him. Yeah. Oh, I'm impressed. You yeah. Know? <laughs> but he was great, you know. Yeah. And he just. What year was that? That would be uh, 66, uh-huh. something about okay. like 65, maybe. Yeah. And, uh, and he was just coming into his voice. He was to young. break out, to yeah. break in material. And then he started to come in almost every night. Uh, with his Wollinjack tape recorder, which was this big, like 30 inches wide. Whole table. And he'd stick it up in the back, <laughs> yeah. stick it up on the shelf, and record the show and go home and listen to it, which is the important thing. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Robert was, you know, the cream of the crop for me. And then Rodney came in, Dangerfield, that is. Yeah. And fell in love with Robert and became his mentor. And uh, then they just started sprouting out. And prior, uh, I forgot how the first time he came in, but, but it was uh, pre, you know, the shift in prior, right? It was it was late sixties prior. He was he was still doing Bill Cosby, right? But I didn't know because I never got outside to right. see anyone like Bill. Was he Cosby. funny then, though? Oh, he was very funny, and he was playing the living room. 
and we went to see him. That's a nightclub. Yeah. It was a nightclub on the east side. And uh, he's performing, and it was very crowded, the, the little place. So they sat Nipsey Russell at my table, which is fine. And yeah. Nipsey, and all during the show, Nipsey's going, rrr, rrr, rrr. Yeah. and the end, said, what the fuck's wrong with you, yeah. Nipsey? He says, he's doing Bill Cosby. <laughs> I said, what? Yeah. He's doing Bill Cosby. And he went over and he blasted Richard. Oh, really? And Richard never did it again. That was it? Yeah. The end of the Cosby shtick. Yeah. When did that generation, like, who, who would you say were the guys that, you know, the, like, if you were going to name five or ten comics that came out of that late 60s that you, you, you think were improv comics? Who were they? Well, it would be Robert Klein, Richard, Rodney, Lily Tomlin. Lily came in. My piano player was Louis St. Louis, and he was from Detroit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Louis says, I got a friend of mine from Detroit who just came in. She yeah. liked to audition. I said, I tell her to come in Thursday night at 11. Yeah. And we didn't get started till 11.30, you know, after the shows had uh, broken and the people came in. So uh, I happened to be standing out in front and his limo pulls up, and in those days it meant something. Yeah. And this young lady gets out putting on white gloves, putting them on. Yeah. Mr. Friedman, I said, just, I'm Lily Tomlin. I said, oh, come right now. I'm very yeah, impressed. Yeah. She went on, blew me away. So I she said, was already somebody. No, Nobody. completely Why unknown. Why was she in a limo? I'll tell you. Yeah. So three weeks later, she, after she's a regular at the club, she tells me a story that a block east of the improv was yeah. the St. James Theater, big Broadway musical yeah. house. And the, as I say, the theater didn't break till 11.30, so she went down there, gave the guy, limo five driver, $5 to drive her around the block <laughs> to your so club. she can make an entrance. <laughs> uh, anyway, and, and uh, well, there are a lot of guys like uh, Elaine, Ed Boozler, Ed Boozler, uh, Ed Bluestone, who was also Elaine's boyfriend, um, and Andy Kaufman came along a little bit later. Lewis, Richard. Oh, of course, Richard Lewis. Yes, thank you. But uh, Richard, you know, funny story. Didn't audition. Killed. Yeah. And I said, stick around for the second show, kid. He yeah. said, Oh, thanks a lot. Yeah. And he didn't do as well. Yeah. And he told me later again, three weeks later after he came around. Well, I had thirty friends at my audition, and they left. They didn't stick around for the second show. And I said, Oh, okay. And what about Jimmy Walker? Oh, Jimmy Walker. I'm sorry. Thank you. Yeah. Jimmy Walker, Freddie Prince. Right. All started uh, with you. Yeah. Freddie was 15 and a half. And this was like the late 60s? Yeah. And what was the culture like? I mean, you know, obviously you, you were open when JFK got killed. Oh, that was, yeah. That was the first time we closed. Yeah. <laughs> and we opened, we, I mean, we were there. We All our regulars came in. We sat around drinking wine and commiserating. Uh, and that and the blackout. Uh, and I forgot what year the blackout was, but I was... Uh, living a block west of the club, and uh, you know, lights went off, which wasn't unusual for my apartment. I figured we couldn't pay the bill. you know. And I walked down the street, you know, it's all dark, and I get to the club, and I was sitting around doing nothing. I said, light some candles and open the wine. <laughs> <laughs> did, did you have a show? Uh, we had people Something. getting up and talking, yeah. you know. Well, we didn't have a microphone in the beginning. You didn't have any? No. We got one uh, maybe six, eight months into it. Yeah. And we did... Story Theater, long before Second City did Story Theater, and we had Dave Asher sitting at a ch on a chair on the stage with a microphone, and Richard Pryor, and I left out the most important guy, Ron Carey. Yeah. 
who was the funniest man in the world. Yeah. You know, Ron? I don't. Well, I mean, I've heard the name. I, I remember okay, seeing... Okay, so he was the short cop yeah, I remember on Bonnie Miller. Yeah, he yeah. was in... Um, he had the twitch. He was kind of twitchy, right? Very nervous. Yeah. High anxiety. Yeah. And, and he was a chauffeur. And he says, when he's getting the bags, well, he goes, I got him. I got him. I got him. I got him. I don't got him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Funny guy. And he was hilarious. And he and Richard Pryor would act out the story that David would be telling. Oh, wow. It was brilliant. And then Ron would go on every Friday and Saturday night doing two shows a night, packed. Yeah. Doing all this Catholic material in, in the late 60s. Very avant-garde. Is that when it all started to sort of break out? Like, in the know, late 60s, yeah. Yeah, and you could see people changing, like Carlin. Did Carlin come in? Uh, a couple of times. When did when did Calvin come in? What was that like? Was that the most amazing thing you ever? What was that? Let's go. Let's oh, I, I, Andy Calvin came to me through um, a guy named uh, Epi Epstein, who owned a play a, a rock place, a co- yeah. rock coffee house thing it was in Gra- Great Neck, where yeah. Andy was from. And he calls me up. I knew him slightly. He said, "Listen, I've got this guy." Uh, used to take a look at him. Very funny guy. And I didn't ask. I never asked questions. I yeah. said, "Fine, okay." Send him down. He comes in. Yeah. Mr. Friedman? Yeah. I said, yes. He says, I am Andy Kaufman. Yeah. And I look at him. I said, where are you from, kid? Yeah. I am from an island in the Caspian Sea. And he's doing the foreign man. Yeah. And I'm biting. I'm yeah. hook, line, and singing. He's got me. <laughs> so I said, okay. If he says you're funny, go on. We'll put you on. So he goes on. He's doing the uh, the foreign man. Everyone's looking at him. They don't know what to do. The nervous Twitter, the whole yeah. thing. And then he does Elvis. Now, singing Elvis was no big deal for me because when I was in the army in Japan, the Japanese women could sing the American songs perfectly. Hmm. Couldn't speak a word of English. Right. So I figured this is the same thing. And then he finished the song and he goes, well, thank you very much. And I go, I fell off the chair. Right. I knew I had been had. Yeah. And I loved it. And, you know, we had adopted Andy and uh, I used to stand in the back of the room particularly out then i brought him out here for a month when i opened the club because uh all my guys had already moved out here and they were playing the uh company store yeah and it was jay leno and freddie prince and uh, jimmy walker well jimmy never came back the ungrateful fuck but anyway so uh mitzi says uh, to jay you can't play both clubs and he says, well, if that's the case, since Bud used to manage me, I'll go to the improv. Yeah. Oh, well, okay, you can play both clubs. And of course, Freddie Prince, you wouldn't dare say anything to. Um, but um, Andy came out. Andy comes out, and he's wrestling w- women and the whole thing. And I have to watch. I became an expert on body language from behind because I'm watching the guy's shoulders because they want to go up and beat the shit out of Andy on the oh, Because stage. he's notorious for this, yeah. With the women and all. And of course, they were all set, it was all set up. But when you were when you were looking at people, like I, I imagine the reason you put people on was because they did well with the crowd, right? I mean, even at the original club. Went over with the crowd? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, Mark. It was, you know, it was my taste and the crowd's taste. Right. But uh, I mean, Andy sometimes would push the limit. Oh, yeah. And but, you... but I knew Andy, and I didn't give a shit. You know, I, you know, sometimes you know, doing Gatsby got a little tiring. You know about that, <laughs> Reading right? Great Gatsby, yeah, yeah. and now it's a hit Broadway, off Broadway show. Do you know that? No, I didn't know that. There's a company called the Something Elevator Company, uh-huh. in and they do it. And the guy reads the book, the whole book. Yeah. And but they have people acting out the parts right. too. Right. But it's hilarious. I think of Andy, and it just. Yeah, he has his Oh, own. so the, how I met Zamuda was um, he was part of a comedy team. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
They were terrible, and they, I, and to this day, I can tell them they used to use fake blood. They fake, fake a fight, and fake blood in their mouth. And, yeah. You know. uh, but they also did carpentry work, <laughs> and they were helping me fix up the place. Do you know who Zamuda's partner was? Chris Albrecht, who became president of HBO, HBO. right? It's, isn't it interesting that like a lot of these guys, even the door guys, went on? And oh. Howard Klein too, right? Howard Klein, Jimmy Miller, who handles Jim Carrey, and he met. Jim, um, who's the most successful comedy director now? Uh, the comedy director? Yeah. Adam McKay? No. Judd Apatow? Judd Apatow was a doorman. Out here, that's though. Where, yeah, out here. That's where, oh, in New York, we had uh, Keenan Wayans, uh, Joe Piscopo. Uh, Danny Door- Aiello was a bouncer. You know. Piscopo was a doorman? Yeah. Before he was a comic. Oh, yeah. Well, when he was a struggling comic. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Well, Attell was a doorman later when Silver had it. Oh, was he? Yeah, mm-hmm. and Kevin Brennan was a doorman yeah. when Silver had it. Yeah. Yeah, but you came out here when? I, I came out here in uh, 1975. Well, late 74. We opened in 75. So you basically, most of your guys left New York. And yes, took, and, exactly. That's one reason. Well, I want to live here f- for other reasons, but yeah, right. And 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 you sort of followed the business out. So New York kind of dried up a little, and you had it, competitors it in New York. Did, no, when, New York was we were doing great. It was a gold mine. It was doing very very well. So I moved out here because I wanted to live in Los Los Angeles. That was my uh, pacemaker. Oh, really? Do <laughs> you need to plug it in or what? I'm joking. That was the camera. I, I know. Oh, oh I'm okay. Joking too. Well, I oh, I, I didn't know you were a joker. Because <laughs> you know, I've seen your act. I, I know. I have felt that you have felt that way my entire career. So the improv then, you know, by 1970 was profitable. Uh, 1970. 71. Uh, when did it start? Really? No, no. Um, it was Silver and I went to Europe for the first time. We took a vacation because everyone said, if you leave the club, buddy, it'll fall apart. Yeah. And I hired Chris Albrecht to be the manager. And we were away for three weeks and we came back. The place was still in business. <laughs> and, you know, Chris was younger, is younger than I am and had a great rapport with the young comics. And uh, I said, this is my chance to move to L.A. because I just started to make money. And uh, so I had come out here. I came out in 74. My friend Jack Knight was on a series, and he was also a carpenter. Yeah. And knew what I was looking for. And he, um, you know, took me around. Yeah. And we went to what is now the Improv, and it was called the Pitchell Players. It was owned by... uh, Guy named Joe Roth, who went to become a very successful movie producer, still is. And uh, we went in. It was just the great bones, great bones, but it was nothing. They yeah. out of a bar, and no kitchen. Yeah. And I said, mm, but they, you know, it wasn't for sale or anything. So um, when I went back to New, I saw this act there, this duo that used to work for me in New York. They were now out here. Who's that? In L.A. This is the punchline. All right. Now. Go ahead. And uh, I get a call from one of the guys. Uh, he says, I'm back in New York because I'm a writer on this new show called Saturday Night Live. And uh, you're still interested in a place because the Pitchell players want to sell. And here's Joe Ross' phone number. 
And it was Senator Al Franken. <laughs> and I, I, I always do a list of alumni. Yeah. And I've left them off until last week. And I'm watching the convention. I saw him. I said, holy shit. You yeah. know? <laughs> and, and me, the biggest name drop in the world. And yeah, I left him off. One, huh? A senator, right? <laughs> so um, anyway, so I called up Joe, uh, made a deal on the phone for, for the lease, which yeah. all he had. But the only problem was it was only a three and a half year lease. And I had to come out and meet the landlord and didn't. Uh, and finally, we got a 10-year lease. But were you aware of the comedy store? Of course. The Did comedy you... store started. Do you know how it started? Yeah, I do. Yeah, kinda. tell me. Sammy Shore started as sort of a clubhouse for his buddies. Yeah, and who was his partner? I don't know. Uh, Rudy DeLuca. Okay. You know who Rudy is? No. Uh, remember High Anxiety, the killer with the, the, the um, uh, what do they call those things on the teeth? Braces on his teeth? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Rudy. Okay. Okay, Rudy w- writes all the movies with uh, Mel. Yeah. So Rudy was writing for Sammy. Yeah. And he calls me up, Rudy, and he says, listen, bud, this is in, uh, you know, when they opened 72, 73, 72. He says, I'm thinking of opening a, a club like the Improv in, in, in Hollywood. Would you be upset? I said, no, I'll never come out there. Go ahead. you know." And, of course, two years later I did. But by then Rudy was out of it and Sammy was out of it. Because, yeah, he let yeah, her And she it. accuses me of stealing her idea. Uh, so uh, The tension. Oh, well, I have no tension. I just I enjoyed it. Yeah. I enjoyed the, you know, her, her anxiety. <laughs> Her high anxieties, yeah. <laughs> but when you came out, so you got the ten year lease. Um, I know some things, but you know, your guys from New York were working for her, right? Yeah. And then you set up shop and you're like, I need you. Right. And most of them came over. Yeah, they all came. Except Jimmy Walker. Right. And you still pissed off at him. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. He uh, because him. let me tell you, Mark, of all the people I used to say, I used to think that they all owed their career to me. Right. And I realized finally, after you know, 30 years, it's not that's true. They would have made Jay would have made it anywhere, anytime. Maybe take a little longer, right. but he would have made it. As, so as you've let some guys. of that go. Ex- I let it all go, except yeah. Jimmy Walker. Yeah. He really owes his career to me. Because yeah. if I didn't put him on, and once I saved his life, because I was going to beat the shit out of him, uh, if I didn't, you know, help that, Jimmy, he yeah. Is that the only one you got? The only grudge? The only grudge. Really? Really. Which is pretty amazing, right? It is pretty amazing. I think there must be others, but I can't. Maybe I blocked them out of my mind. <laughs> or they're no longer in the business, you know. So when you you and Silver split up when you moved out here? No. We came out here with Zoe and yeah. her sister Beth. Uh, we lived here uh, from 74 to- Who was running the New York club? Chris. Oh, he just did. Yeah, there. we sold him a piece of the club. Oh, okay. And uh, we- um, we lasted about two seventy five, seventy seven. We started, and seventy eight. We we're going to get divorced, and and uh, I I agreed to give her the New York club because I knew she wanted to go back to New York, and I kept this club. And the New York club is really worth about ten times what this club was at the time. And, and you had no vision of franchising or anything. You no, were just no. It was no. just this was going to be a nightclub business. Exactly. That was going to be it. You know, and then. I, I got out of the management business. I, I learned who who were you managing at Bette the time? Midler yeah. and Jay Leno. Those you know unknowns. That was it. Yeah. Oh, then I then I had Lenny. You know Lenny Schultz. You know John Mendoza. Yeah. So one night in the bar with with John here, uh, it was four or five years ago, and and we're talking about Lenny Jay's name. I said, you know, I used to manage him. You manage Jay Leno? 
Yeah. I said, yeah. And I also managed Batman. You managed Jay Leno and Batman. He's about to put me up on a pillar. And I said, and I also managed Lenny Schultz. <laughs> and he almost <laughs> fell on the floor laughing. He said, oh, God, I'm lying. Yeah. Yeah. I thought Lenny was going to be the next Sid Caesar. Yeah, he was something. Really his son was hanging around for a little while. I think his son was doing comedy. Yeah, a yeah, little bit. Yeah, yeah. I just it's it's weird. That, like, so you start the improv in in L.A. in 75, 74, 75, 74, yeah. 75, and then it burned down very quickly. Coincidentally, it burned down to during the comic strike, and it yeah. wasn't the comics who did it. Not what was, my it? was that seventy six? Uh, no, is uh, no. So here's the story. So Silver goes back to New York seventy eight. The divorce is final in 79, and the strike is in 79. That's when the fire came. The strike started at the comedy store because Mitzi wasn't paying anybody, right. and, she and she was, was fighting them. a lot of money. Well, she was, it was, I had no idea until I read that, the book yeah. recently just how successful that place was at that time. And she had this big room that was Ciro's. The main room, yeah. And so she put in names, I right. use quotes, and they didn't draw flies. Yeah. Then she put in three of her best unknowns and packed the place. Right. And she's packing it every Friday and Saturday night. She didn't want to give them any money. Right. I mean, she's, and know, Tom Dreesen and- uh, Oh, you know, it was David Letterman yeah. and uh, probably Jay went on and, you know, well, good acts. But the, the strike was unknown. like spearheaded by, you know, the, a group of comics and Tom Dreesen yeah. led it. Yeah. Well, he Tom was the uni- union yeah. organizer. Yeah. And- um, uh, they came to me and I said, "Look, wh- what do you want? I'm, I'm in the middle of a fire here." Yeah, but you weren't paying guys either. No, at the time, no, no. no. And well, you know, anyway. So I said, "Look, come back to me after I open. I'll negotiate in good faith." They said, "Fine." Believe me, in hindsight, if they had come to me first, I would have thrown them out on their ass. You wouldn't have paid me either. No, because I struggled so long in New York, and I remember Jimmy Walker again. Yeah, was making in the '60s. He was working as an engineer in a radio station, WMCA, and he, remember Alex Bennett? Yeah, of course. He worked for Alex in New York. He was making $250 a week. $250, it was a fortune in those yeah, days. Yeah, yeah. You know, I wasn't making that. Yeah. I was, you know, really right. pissed, you know. Anyway, so, um, so I, you know, I resented it, yeah. you know, but by the time I got up and running again, I felt a little differently. And you, and you know, made an agreement that if she, whatever she pays, I'll pay. When no. that the strike when it when it sort of I, finishes, I so. paid a, uh, yeah about the same or a little less. If you well, why why was there an idea that like mm. these guys should should work for nothing? Well, when when I started the club, and since I wasn't making any money, why the fuck should they make any money? <laughs> but it was also when I opened the club, it was the only comedy club in the world. Right, right. So who knew? You you know, as I say, you want to come in, you go on, and you'll wait. So I wasn't hiring anybody. Right. It was right. just who was there. And, right, and they needed the yeah, stage time. Exactly. And wait, so when the club burned down, you suspect it might have been uh, arson? We suspect that it might have been somebody from Sunset Boulevard, <clears throat> uh, a, a, a devotee oh, yeah? of somebody from Sunset Boulevard. And you, yes. you got a name on that? Yes, we do. Yes, but he's dead too. Ollie Joe? And I had nothing to do with it. No. Is Ollie Joe dead? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Who, who do you think it was? I'm not going to mention any names. Just get sued for libel. <laughs> okay. Not that this guy had any family. <laughs> <laughs> but you have a pretty strong sense it was a comic. Yeah, yeah. And who was caught up in the fervor of that that situation? Yeah. Well, she she was like a mesmer, mes, mes, was it Medusa? No, Masonic. Mes, yeah, messianic. Messianic. 
you know, idle. You know, these guys, you know, those that I, I was a doorman there. I mean, you know, were in, you in 1988? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, for a year, <clears throat> and even then, after you know, it was over. She still, you know, there still is that thing there where it's sort of like you know, Mitzi said, you know, and she's ill. She's like, uh, yeah, yeah, no, in, 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 she's not. Uh, the, the great story is uh, uh, Alex and I went to the Tonight Show. Uh, to see Charles Nelson Riley about something. And I had no idea who else was on the show. And we'll go backstage after the show had started. We're walking down the hallway, and there's Mitzi's boyfriend. What's his name? Uh, Which one? A handsome blonde guy. Argus. Argus Hamilton. Hamilton, yeah. Who I had double dated with before I met Alex after I had divorced Silva. Anyway, some guy, I know. He still goes on every night first. Well, I know, yeah. I know, I know. So yeah. I go... Hey, how are you? And we start talking to him, and then she sticks her head out over his shoulder. And, she, and so we walk out. We're backstage by the bar, and he comes to get a drink. And now we're talking for five minutes. I yeah. listen to Alex and all yeah. of that. And Alex and I are just dating. Mm-hmm. Serious, but we're just dating. And um, uh, when he leaves, I said, you know, that's Mitzi's boyfriend. And she says, What? Alex says, you're telling me that a woman who looks like that has a man who looks like that, and I, who look the way I look, have you? <laughs> I said, well, I got to marry this woman. <laughs> did you? Did she ever, was there ever any sort of men's made between you and Mitzi? No. Did no, you, I mean, we used to, when I used to come out here, I, you know, before, before, I, came, you opened before I opened the club, she was very friendly and very nice, you know, but yeah, once, once I stole her idea. That was it. That, really? And, and were, did you have the same resentment of her that she no, had of you? No, I didn't care. You know, it's, I mean, that's fleas. Yeah. Outside of the initial sort of like you need, to, we got to share talent. You didn't care. Yeah, yeah, that was the other thing. That That's what I really resented in the sense for the comics because I remember Carol Siskind. Yeah, I remember her. Um, with the eye. It was working, yeah. for, you know, at the improv yeah. and she couldn't go to the comedy store. And she went to New York for a week she came back, she says, Bud, I did 12 shows in one night. She was beaming, right? Right. In New York. Running around, do it. doing yeah, the strip. I, you know, anyway, that, that's the only thing. The comics didn't get a chance to work out as much as they could, because how many spots can we give them? Yeah. And she was the one that was creating all the tension. Yeah, yeah, sure. Because well, by the time I got there, you know, it was already, it, it was sort of hanging on and dark, and it always had sort of a dark energy. And uh, that was still some sort of weird unspoken rule. And I remember when I got here, I was 20 years old, and we wanted to work at the improv. So me and my friend Jimmy, we actually went over there during the day. No one was in the showroom, and we did a set for each other just to break the <laughs> 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 We got on stage. When I was finishing off the club on yeah. Melrose, and we hadn't opened yet, this young couple walks by, and they come in, they're looking around. Is this the same improv from New York? I said, yes, it is. Are you the, I said, yeah, but well, how are you know? Uh, and we're chatting, and uh, so who's going to be performing? The same people perform in New York? I said, yeah, more or less. Says Jay Leno. I said, oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Freddie Pence? I said, oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Steve Lannisberg? I said, no, no, Steve won't be performing here. Oh, why is that? Well, because he's living with the owner of the comedy store. And the woman says, oh, no, not Steve, like he's gay. Right. <laughs> I said, are you a chauvinist lady? Couldn't the owner of the comedy store be a woman, which right. it is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, thank goodness, she said. <laughs> Did you, now, Steve was, he like, I, I don't know him as a comic, but he was great, oh, right? Oh, he was brilliant. Brilliant. He was Did so you remain fun. friends with him? Yes, yes, yeah. And Alex met him later on and, you know, just fell in love with him. So know? most of that stuff is faded, you know, like, you're friendly with comics in general? Who, me? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. 
And did you do? And there you, may be guys out there. I'm sure the guys out there that are nice to me. Yeah. But hate me, you know. But, Why do you think they hate you? Because because you know, um, I wasn't the most diplomatic person in the world. Yeah. I admit that, you know, and I was also very nervous, very uptight when I met Alex. You know, 32 years ago. You know, she came into the club with me, and I look in the dining room, and I go, slam the chairs around, moving them into place. Yeah. Just out of yeah, you know, looking for attention. And, and also, you know, this is my baby. I can't. Yeah. And, Your personality uh, drove the place. Yeah, but now my personality has changed. Thanks to, you know, all the comics, because Alex has asked, because she made me a nice guy. Yeah. Yeah, so. yeah, well, people were afraid of you. Yes, they were. Yes, yeah. they were. Yeah. And now, in terms of, like, Okay, let's get to this franchise into the like because it was clear that now we're talking <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the you know the comedy store was its own thing but you don't acknowledge that as a comedy club like you acknowledge the improv as the first comedy club really yeah the comedy store was some weird experiment no that was a comedy club okay. it's a comedy club no 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 but the, now you didn't set out to franchise what no now, what, but what was the idea when did you realize like i've got enough comics to do this it wasn't the, it wasn't enough comics there was always enough comics because you know mitzi had the dunes hotel do you know that yeah, she had the I main did. room no i did yeah she still had it by the time i got yeah there. so i had a comic who worked at uh, the club who just passed away by the name of mark anderson and Mark came he, from. He owned the the part of the the Arizona one. That was exactly that was a horrible he story. Was, he was the owner. Did he have? Did he? Did he? Did he have the San Francisco one too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that guy. Yeah, yeah. He was a very sweet guy, and uh, my friend Bud Robinson was managing him, and Mark was a psychi- psychologist, PhD from Princeton, mm-hmm. but he was crazy, <laughs> yeah. Saloon. But a sweet guy, and he had an interesting, different act, you know. And he said, well, you know, so I'm sorry. So night, the, the big turning point for the improv was Evening at the Improv, a television show. I did Nin- that twice. Yeah, 1980. That's when it started? Yeah, so we did 14 years of that. Right. So that became, that's what made us. And that's when you knew you could branch out because the brand had become so exactly. established. And Mark Anderson came to me and says, I'd like to open an improv in San Diego or in Pacific Beach. I'm from somewhere down there. Yeah. And uh, I said, okay. And so we went over, looked for sites, yeah. and found a place, built a club. And we had the, f- the most fantastic opening. Yeah. We, um, we rented a car on the train. And uh, uh, but before we went down, I did something I've never done before, never really talked about this on the air before, haven't done since. Um, I went to Robin. Williams and I said, Jonathan Winters is coming to the opening, and he'd love to see you there. And Mark Anderson knew Jonathan to his family and went to Jonathan and said, uh, Robin Williams is coming, and he'd love to see you there. And we got them on the stage for the first time, ever, ever. Oh my God! And that and was that Robin's was, that hero. Was, that was yeah. That was part of the. the then we had um, so on the train we had uh, an unknown Bill Maher who, as the train pulled out of the stage, went into the men's room. And came out wearing a smoking jacket, which he proceeded to wear. And we put everybody up in the night. We had B. Arthur, who's the hottest one on television, then Ruth Buzzy from uh, Laughing. Laughin'. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it was just great. A caravan of comics. Yeah, it was just wonderful. And uh, the show was terrific, obviously, with Robin and uh, and Jonathan closing it. And uh, it it ran for a number of years. I never, to this day, figured out why it closed. What the San Diego one? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I, it was just like I remember the evening at the improv, and then, you know, I did that in '89 and '91. I did the shows, and mm-hmm. you were there. And uh, but like Robin's a, yeah, another one. Like I, I don't think anyone anticipated. Did you anticipate when you yes. opened that? What that Robin would become well, a su- well, yeah, you, you knew that, but that comedy would get so fucking hot. Oh, I never. That's a good. Yeah, that's a good point because I never thought that comedians would become like superstars. Rock stars. And that's what the early exactly. 70s was yeah. like, or the mid-70s. Yeah, late It was great. What, like, what do you think that was? More the 80s. Well, why, why'd that happen? It's it, cable, you know, um, when when the, remember the Hot Channel? Yeah. Right? And uh, what was it? Chris's boss was, uh, anyway, the president had a, a Michael champ- Fuchs? Champ- yeah, yeah, Michael HBO, Fuchs. At HBO. At HBO had a champagne breakfast. Yeah at the Four Seasons Hotel, yeah. and there were about 400 people in the room. And he said, you know, thanks to HBO, there are now over 300 comedy clubs in America. I yelled out, thanks a lot, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but it was cable. Yeah. It was a success of the improv. But do you think, like, because a lot of people, like my generation, and, and, and certainly when the, the collapse of the boom happened and clubs started hurting... <clears throat> Yeah. You remember that, oh, yeah. but they blamed overexposure, and they blamed that you know there was a, a watering down that there were comics that maybe not were not that great or were too mediocre. Like it used to drive me nuts. I go into the improv and you had that fucking sign on the wall over a million jokes told, and yeah. I'm like, he knows who he's comparing it to. It's fucking McDonald's. Yeah, I know. I know. Well, and I I got the joke, but do you think on some level? Oh there were... no, I didn't never. I, I, here's my theory on that. You know, guys would look at my success and see the show and they say, ah, if Bud Friedman can do that, I can do it. And I'm going to cover all my bowling alley and make it a comedy club. Right. And they did. And who am I going to get to perform? Who who do I have here in Des Moines? I know, Harry. Harry's yeah. a funny guy, the guy right. at the gas station. Then. And so the people would go in Des Moines to see Harry perform, right. who was not you know, less yeah. than adequate. And they say, well, this is what comedy clubs is all about. Why should I go to the improv when I go to L.A. or to Vegas or something like that? Right. So you think it was I a, think that yeah, was a part of it. Regional part. comedy scenes that were built yeah. on happy hour performers and aspiring comics. Yeah. Huh. And the recession. Right. Right. But I mean, but did you do you consider like were you ever intrusive? Like I know like the you know, Mitzi, you know, was uh, you know, guiding everybody through their act and telling them <laughs> what to do. But I never got that from you. Were there guys did you ever step in and creatively coach anybody? I did. They never listened. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness. So even at the beginning, because I remember Silver was always very you know, when I even when I was there and the place was, was sort of dying you know, in the late 80s. Yeah. You know, she was always very proactive and very sort of like, you know, coddling. And, oh, you know, I was yeah. always, we were always encouraging. Yes, yeah. I was always encouraging. And I, I did give notes occasionally, you know, but but it was mostly the encouragement yeah. that they needed. Do you think and, it's an art form? Yes, definitely. Yeah. And, and I would go, I have a big laugh, as you probably noticed, and I would go to the Tonight Show in New York and the Ed Sullivan Show when all the comic when any of the comics were on. And, and laugh it up. In your life... Who are the guys that, like, you know, you just, like, outside of Ron Carey, the guys that just, you know, forever well, you have made, made a mark? Like, the, the moment. Robert Klein, Richard Pryor, Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah, he was yeah. fucking Rodney came in. He worked at the living room, the same place that Richard went to eventually. 
and I saw the write-up. Yeah, I had no idea who. And this he is was. when he just sort of reinvented himself. He just came back as after Rodney. like twelve years yeah. of, of aluminum siding, aluminum siding, selling right. jokes. And he and I heard Rodney Dangerfield. I'm expecting this Ivy <laughs> Ivy right. Leaguer right. come in, you know, with a little narrow uh, suit uh, lapel suit on. And this guy walks in, a middle aged drunk, and he's drunk, and he goes on stage, and he bombed. Yeah. Probably the only time he ever bombed the Empire. He came back the next night sober, as if to say, I'll show these young fuckers. Yeah, yeah. And he gets up, wipes out the room. Just brilliant. And he became my unofficial house MC for two years. And when did he open his own club? After two years. Yeah. And he asked me to run it for him. And I said, I can't leave my club. It'll fall apart. Right. A year later, I left. And, and the first year Chris was running it, business increased 15%, you know, so... But do you, when you look at the the arc of showbiz, you look at somebody like Robert Klein, who you know some people think you know did not get you know the 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 dues or the respect that was owed him as right. a comic over time. Yeah, do you believe that? Yes, I do. Why do you think that happened? Uh, well, there was something about his persona which I did not see, but you know his manager you know said it that uh, he uh, he was a little arrogant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I thought he had the right to be. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know he. So he he was he was pompous and he maybe he a little opportunities for himself. Yeah, Are yeah. there a lot of guys like that? Because when I was at the Improv, by the time I was working at the New York Improv, you know Marty was hanging around, Bob Shaw was hanging around, Ron Darian was still around, uh, uh, Mike Ivy and Uncle Dirty, Bob Altman yeah. was still around. I mean, all those guys started with you. Do you do you know what what it and and you know why and, they didn't make it? Well, Bob Altman claims he had the biggest selling comedy album in the ever at that time. That's what he used to talk about. Uncle Dirty. He used to say, like, I admit, you know, he had a big uh, myth. Uh, a quizzical look on Bud Friedman's face. <laughs> <laughs> but why do you think, uh, you know, do you think there were guys that were great that just didn't make it? Well, I didn't think Uncle Dirty was great. Right. I thought he was a little, um, uh, what's the word, uh, derivative. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, people used to say to me years ago, who hasn't made it that should have made it? Yeah. And the only answer I had at the time was Jay Leno. Yeah. All the time. And yeah. Jay, uh, and, um, but now I feel that anyone who's made it has made it because they deserve to or they're lucky. But I don't think there's anyone that hasn't made it. I can't think of anyone that, you know, I can't understand why they didn't make it. Right. You know? Usually there's a story there. There's a story, you know, or they're, you know, just not good enough. But also like their own demons, perhaps. That happens occasionally. Yeah, sure. But I don't know. I can't think of, you know, I've thought of this many times. But I can't think of anybody that. Uh, that should have made it that did. Yeah, right. W without a, a reasonable explanation. Yeah, yeah. And do you, what do you think of the, the state of comedy now? Well, I think it's very good. You know, it's, it's interesting because there are thousands of comics where there used to be hundreds. And, and that's a good thing. Uh, yeah, for me it is. When I started the improv. <laughs> Here's, here's our regulars. I'm yeah. just trying to think of Ron Carey, Stiller and Mirror, Richard Pryor, Robert Klein, Rodney Dangerfield, uh, Lily Tomlin. You would never uh, mistake one voice for the other. Right. You knew the minute you heard these people who they were. They were unique. Well, they are unique. Well, maybe they were unique. They're not anymore because cable. Mm-hmm. And... No, they, they were always unique. They, I mean, there was, Yeah, but the exposure... Right. Uh, on cable and on television, right, uh, became such a thing that people started to copy. And how 
tough as it, you know, you're a comic, to yeah. come up with original material. It's hard. That nobody else has touched. Right. Uh, so, but I, I say that although there are thousands of comics, there are still the people who, like Cream, will rise to the top. With unique voices. You know, the unique voices who, uh, you know, uh, still the same number. Yeah. Of, of breakout right, people. Right, They're just more uh, chafe, wheat from the yeah. chafe, whatever, you know. But you need those guys too, right? I mean, especially yeah. when you're running a franchise business, you got to have the, you know. Well, we hope we only take the top people for our clubs. Yeah, but I mean, you got to have openers and middles and you yes, got to you right? well, have a farm yeah. system of some yeah, kind. Yeah, and, and, and it works out and you, you see people developing and uh, yeah. it's very gratifying. And do you, like, where do you stand on, like, you, you know, the people that are derivative? I mean, when you see people that are obviously stealing people's work and that kind of stuff. Well, we, we've called out a few people on that. Yeah. But, uh, you know, uh, they don't rate, rate too highly. You right. Know, you know, right. And, with it, me, and they it, won't it, work for me. Yeah. For the most part. So, where, where, what's the status of the situation now? I, like, I see you over there. I don't know. What's your involvement in the club now? Oh. Well, my partner, Mark Lano, and I have, uh, in 19, uh, 1999, can't remember, boy, decades are flying by, 1999, we franchised or licensed all the clubs, including Melrose, to a guy named Al Copeland. Uh, and he had great plans, great ideas, and he was a guy who created Popeyes. Mm -hmm. Chicken. Yeah. Yeah. And But they had no anti-homosexual policies. Yeah, uh, sure. They were okay. Policies. On the level. Yeah. Uh, so, um, you know, and they had a great plan, and, and uh, you know, we discussed it, and they uh, they were working with Robert Hartman, who had worked for us for many years. So I thought it was in safe hands, and it is. I mean, I, you know, but then Al died, and uh, but before he died, we had to sue him because he wasn't opening the number of clubs he was supposed to, so, eh. Yeah. But, uh, so my involvement is we own the name, we get a piece of the action, but we don't have the day-to-day -day aggravation, which is why I can sit here and smile and, you know, go crazy driving out here, yeah. wherever we are. It's not that. We're, we're right by Pasadena. Nothing? Uh, yeah, no? I, I don't want to get into that. Right. You, know, that's, you know, the two Jews mean, whether you spend the first two hours talking about how I got here. <laughs> I, I, that's one thing I decided after I was out in California a few years. I'm not, I was going to talk about how I got someplace. Because you know? <laughs> that could go on forever. Oh, God. So you're doing all right, and you and Juan are, are friends? Mm-hmm. Yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, we're going uh, next week, uh, the 20th, um, Alex and I and Mark and Joanna are going up to uh, Boston for the comedy festival, and Mark and I are going to be judges. Oh, yeah. Just, yeah, we thought it'd be fun. a to go up there. Yeah. yeah, it's nice up there. Yeah. He, he was very funny. Like years ago, when I was a lot more angry, you know, I did some <laughs> set at your club, and you know, I was uh, you know up there storming around, and it was clearly not a great set. And I got off, and Lionel said, "That's very uplifting." <laughs> <laughs> You can be a little sarcastic, yes. But the weird thing is, is I read the book, you know, I read both uh, Zoglin's book and I read the I'm Dying Up Here. Yeah. And I tell you, I, I just had no, because I'm I'm only, I'm 49, so I don't have any context of what you guys were like when you were young. And, you know, and, and just, uh, you, you, it's hard for me to ever imagine you guys as young men and, 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 
Not in a bad way, yeah. but I mean, like you know, when things when when well, you were I was at the, never young huh? when you were at the beginning of something. Yeah, right. Yeah, and you know, and his like you know, like he, what he comes from, you know, in, in his place, like he was sort of on the periphery of the strike, and and his wife. Oh, he was. was very, he and his wife were very involved. In the yeah, strike, and yeah. like you know, and he said something about you know Mitzi at the end of that book that was taken from testimony. It was so genius, and it's just so amazing to me that like you know Jay Leno and David Letterman, all these guys were 22, 23 year old guys. I know that's who were, the amazing. Yeah, thing. Who were insecure and, and but it was like the beginning of rock and roll here i mean you were the you were the source of it yeah and there was that changeover from the old guard i mean you know what you know what's your relationship with them i see pictures of the improv you know shecky green buddy hackett and those guys but they were done right i mean by the, well, by yeah. the time you started oh yeah they were well very well established they were retired you know semi-retired or mostly retired but uh, I was a member of the Friars, and I <clears throat> met all these guys, these legends. Yeah, Milton Berle and Jan and yeah. Shecky and Buddy Hackett. And, and did it, you did you see them when you were younger at all? Did you ever do oh, the, sure. the hills and go? Well, I worked Catskill? at Catskills for years. You yeah, know? yeah, doing the what? Summers. I I did everything: lifeguard, boat boy, waiter, busboy, stagehand. So you saw all those comics? Yeah. And Joey Bishop tipped me a dollar once, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you have those memories. Yeah. Oh, but yeah. isn't it interesting how, like, how the, there's such a shift in the style of comedy and when stand-up became its own thing as opposed to just those guys? Yeah, who, those are the guys who, you know, a handful of guys who were names, mm-hmm. who could headline. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, there are two aspects I feel that I've changed in the, in the world, and yeah. that is comics were no longer opening acts. Right, you know, yeah, those be, be, besides those guys, they became comedy stars, and and two, uh, because of me, comics started to get laid. <laughs> Talking about <laughs> rock and rollers, you know, they never got laid before that. That's right, and that was a big driving force. And the improv was like, a, a, and that was the other. I'm sorry, but that was the other thing I could measure a comics potential uh-huh. by how successful he was with the women yeah who were who were some well, of the, richard lewis robin williams that before you know when yeah. he's completely unknown and jay leno oh yeah yeah they were coxman oh yeah, yeah. i just <laughs> you're like those are the guys i said this guy's gonna be great <laughs> <laughs> well thanks for making the sweat bud all right good talk i hope i get home <laughs> yeah we'll figure it out i saw a little hotel down the street yeah, i'll yeah. wait till daylight i'll set you up in pasadena <laughs> 